So, interesting. All right, how's your teaching going? I'm having an easy semester with teaching. So um, it's been delightful to work with teachers and to really try to form instruction around professional development, um, which is very different than teaching undergraduates or even graduates who are pre-service teachers, where there's a certain set of um, goals, very clear goals that we have for them. Uh, what do you need to know when you start teaching? Whereas with practicing teachers, especially in the class I teach, it's more open-ended, asking them what they need and then elevating and going to the next level wherever they're at. So that's my teaching. How's your teaching going? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> kind of depends on the day, right? It's true. <laughs> so, true. yeah, I mean, I got to say, I'm loving my classes this semester. Like my undergrads are super smart. My doctoral students are super smart. They're all just super smart. Things are happening, but it's been a busy semester. It's been a busy semester. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's going good. It's going better than last semester, which is <laughs> good. good. Just good. Well, and so that's, that's kind of what we're interested in today on this episode of Not That Kind of Doctor, where we're going to be exploring the ways that our teaching shifts and changes and how moving from that first semester to that second semester <laughs> kind of feels like night and day. Yeah. So my name is Nick Hughesby. I am an associate professor of elementary literacy education here at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Guy Training. I'm a professor of education, same place. I'm Emily Fisher. I'm an assistant professor of practice and the clinic coordinator of the Schmoker Reading Center. All right. Mm -hmm. Very fancy. Does it feel good to say that? It does. It does feel good to say that. Because like this time last year, you were like dissertating hard. Yes. Yes. And on the job market. Which is always stressful. Yes. It was, it was a stressful time. If you want tips and tricks, go see our previous video. <laughs> Plug, did I do that right? Question mark? It works. I don't That's know. Good. This branding thing, I don't know if I'm good at it at all. Well, you gave me some good tips and tricks. Okay, so yeah, see? Yeah. See? Evidence right there. And then right I've, there. I've given my, my other like friends who are on the job market tips and tricks as well. Oh, yeah. look, paying it forward. Yes, yes. I love this. This mm -hmm. makes me happy. So, Emily, talk to us about... What was your first semester like teaching as you shifted from being a doctoral student into being the instructor of record on your own? Yeah. It was, well, I, was, I, I got to be an instructor of record when I was at GTA. So that was, I, I had been an instructor of record before, which was, which was nice. But this was different uh, because... I was basically taking a course and redesigning it. Um, and so the course I teach is um, teaching struggling readers or readers who have disabilities or reading delays um, and figuring out how I design a course, the lecture course, which is two credit hours, to align well with the practicum, which is the reading center. And then at the reading center, um, 
children who are struggling with reading, their uh, families apply for them to come for tutoring twice a week for an hour. So one of the biggest challenges I had was how do I make those two things align because whatever we're learning in the lecture course should be able to be directly applied to what they're doing in tutoring. Um, and I feel like in theory it sounds easy, but it's a lot more challenging in practice. I don't know if it even sounds easy. Okay. It sounds complicated. Yeah. The, minute, okay. the minute we have to do something that aligns to a whole host of other people, it gets difficult because mm -hmm. we control, control our actions and mm -hmm. we can prep as much as we want, but it's much harder for mm -hmm. us to see what other people are doing, people are doing, and even if we communicate. Yeah. I don't know how they're perceiving it. And so there's a lot of trust that has mm -hmm. to be built over time. And you were f somewhat familiar with the situation, but yeah. still you were starting something new. Yeah. And then like what, what made sense in my head, mm -hmm. you know, I had then had to communicate with the other, like, so our reading center director was also, we were collaborating on the course together. So I didn't have to do it all on my own. Um, but I would say I'm like point person. And mm -hmm. then also we had an adjunct instructor teaching our um, another course of it. So coordinating with all, the, with all these other instructors and then also making sure that we're aligned for our undergrads. It's kind of like the gears of a clock. Mm -hmm. They all have to work in harmony together. Um, and you, it's, it's sometimes hard to make them work together and then also help my students, my undergraduates, to see how they work together. That's, that, that was a big challenge. And so as you were dealing with that challenge, um, how much work did you do in advance? How did you prepare for something that complicated? Well, when I was thinking about structuring the class, so I think that's one of the biggest differences between working in like K-12 education and higher education is the, not just the organization of the class, but how do you structure it? Mm -hmm. um, and so how, when I was thinking about how to structure it, I had to think about how can I teach lecture where my undergrads come to a once a week lecture um, and then they have tutoring twice a week. So how do I make it work where I can't have any of my undergrads receiving different information, like they all need the same information that week in lecture, but they might be coming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and they're tutoring on Monday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday always. So how we structured it, how I structured it was, um, did, some did some introductory things about reading and writing and, and explicit instruction. And then what, how it works is what we learn in lecture. So it's designed around like big three. So word work, reading, and writing. Um, so whatever we learn in, about word work in the lecture that week, they then apply mm -hmm. into their lesson plans and with their child the next week. And then in lecture the next week, we might learn about reading. And then whatever we're learning about in reading, they apply the next week. And so it works through like a cycle. Um, and it's nice because then when we come back to word work, my undergrads are usually at a point of like, okay, I've done all these things what next and so we can move to the next like to the next level of or give some new ideas to um, help them advance their teaching and help them move their child like help their child move along and their reading skills too so i'm thinking about like when we're thinking about like those challenges so you had like these big structural challenges in terms of how to make lecture and clin and, and and clinic practice match up right and 
that seems like a lot. <laughs> a ton, right? It is. <laughs> and I would love to know a little bit about how, because I'm thinking back to conversations we had last semester <laughs> oh, around yeah. like, how did you how did you think through in triage? Like you have you only have so many hours in the day, right? Yeah. And you have other things that are also in your life, mm -hmm. like partners and kids and pets and <laughs> et cetera. Like, so how how did you think through triaging like the the challenges that you were experiencing, like how did you decide which challenges to take on and which ones not to? And how did you like make peace with that? <laughs> I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I think that I don't know, I don't know if I know how, how to do that last semester. Mm -hmm. But this semester, I learned so much from last semester that I was able to take lessons that I learned or reflect and make some changes so that I can do that. So um, for example, last semester, um, what I thought, I, like once again, I thought I was being really clear. We talk a lot about um, Scarborough's reading rope and um, Duke and Cartwright's model of reading and how reading's interconnected. So we work on, we do three different like little lessons in this hour of tutoring on, tutoring on word work, reading or writing. And my undergrads um, in, in the anonymous midterm feedback were like, I don't understand why I'm having to teach my student all of these things when my student specifically needs work on whatever it is, whether it be like mm -hmm. phonological awareness or phonics. And so last semester we went, like, went back through and brought the reading rope back and had the, I had my students like look at the different instructional strategies they had done during tutoring and then match them to the parts of the reading rope. So this is why writing matters in the reading rope because it goes mm -hmm. into this piece. And it was a big aha moment. Um, and there was a lot of, a lot of stress about how do I help my students understand this? Because it's a really critical piece of mm -hmm. the whole class um, that that the concepts of reading are interconnected, um, and that when you're working on one, it automatically will help with another, and like so that you and that you also don't work on one thing for 60 minutes. Because if you're if you're seven, you don't want to work on decoding for an hour. At least oh, I, I don't want to. You're 56. I was gonna say I don't want to work on decoding for an hour either. So what I was able to do then is the beauty of I think higher ed is that I don't have to wait a year to mm -hmm. implement the changes that I yeah. want. I got to do it at semester. And so um, I reworked what we do the very beginning of class, um, the first few weeks, and reworked um, bringing more explicitly and tying, like what are we doing in practicum and how is it tied to this reading rope? So not just not just talking about it and again, because we did talk about it a lot, but making those, uh, those connections like more explicit, um, and so like this semester, this time, like this Monday in class, we were looking over their the assessment data that they had given their students. So on the the past test, which is about phonological awareness, nonsense words, which is phonemic awareness, word to text skills, and um, a spelling inventory. So that and I and we I posed the question like how like what are these assessments like what does this tell us about your child? And they said well they're all they're all really similar, but they're showing us the different aspects. So they're, they're 
testing different pieces of the bottom part of the reading rope. I was like, yay, yes, that's exactly <laughs> it, yes. So. So, so what I'm hearing is, from semester to semester, is first of all, when you think about your first semester, it is going to be messy. It was really it, challenging. <laughs> especially if you're walking into a situation where you're trying to coordinate a lot of pieces and you're trying to restructure things. Mm -hmm. And that's the transition. And we talked a little bit last time about this. As a graduate student, we really advise you to stick with what's there. Uh, somebody else has said it. They have an awareness to everything that's happening. So you should stick more or less to the script as described if you're lucky enough to have one. And you talked mm -hmm. about one where you didn't have enough of one. And then you, you have to struggle with it a little bit. But once you step into a new faculty role and you want to make the course your own, it's going to be rocky for a while mm -hmm. until you find your footing and you find what works yeah. and how to coordinate. So that's one thing that I learned from that. And the other thing is that you're going to get some feedback. Uh, focus on that feedback mm -hmm. because there are clues in there about what might be working. And the way I think about it, and I think about it in publication too, when I get, when I get feedback and I'm like, but I've done this. In, in publication, it works exactly the same way. It's, I, for, the first reaction is, you don't understand. And the second reaction is, oh, you didn't understand. I need to do a better job mm -hmm. to make sure mm -hmm. that it all connects. So you've learned from that, and you are making it more explicit. And so rocky beginnings, yeah. lead, if you go to your feedback and really learn from it, can lead you to have a much better result. And there is a magic about starting with a little bit of a, a mess because then your, your student reviews and the evaluation of your writing goes up. If you start really high, there's nowhere to go. You can just go flat. I, that's my self-protection because my first semester here. So start messy? Well, is not that, on is that your purpose. Advice? I have questions. I, all Who I'm saying I is from an assessment perspective, it's hard at that moment, but then Four years later, when you have to renew a contract or when you have to go up for a, for a tenure, you can show a really nice graph of growth. So I there's a, there's, <laughs> it's my silver lining. Let me sit with it. My first semester was very, my, my uh, reviews were quite concerning to some people and to myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and but that in retrospect really helped me to focus on mm. student feedback. Yeah, I think so. I mean if teaching's difficult and it's hard and there's a lot of lessons to learn. I think that's one of the great things about it is you can always improve. I was thinking about my first year of teaching on the way here, and I was just kind of horrified <laughs> thinking about it. Um, so like I mean, because like the first semester, once again, it's kind of like the first year of teaching. And you know, mm -hmm. I know a lot more things. I know my content. I know, you know, a lot more about teaching. But there's a lot of other different challenges working with adult learners is mm -hmm. different. I I worked with sixth graders most of my career, and so it's just it's just different. Um, and also, I should also say, like, I didn't have to do this alone, and I don't mm -hmm. think anybody should be doing this alone. So I worked with. Um, Dr. Rachel Schachter, the director of the Reading Center. So we collaborated a lot and she was a really great mentor for me. I talked with you about the Reading mm -hmm. Center. I talked with you about the Reading Center. Um, I talked with a lot of people who gave me a lot of good feedback or helped me process through. So I wasn't alone. I don't, I 
I don't know if I could have done it all by myself. And I don't think anybody should do it all by themselves either. Yeah, and I think that point is really important. It's not necessarily that you can't do it. I'm pretty sure you would have been fine. But it really helps. <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty sure. 90% sure, sure you would have I mean, been okay on your own. <laughs> I, I always would, work I probability. I mean, I would have been able to do it on my own. I think yes. I would, yes. But it <laughs> is really, just from a psychological perspective, you feel much better if you have somebody to talk to who mm -hmm. says, mm -hmm. yes, sometimes it gets messy, and here are three things you can think about doing um, to make it better next time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'd like to come back to the, the feedback piece, mm -hmm. because just like when you're getting a review back on a manuscript or you know you're sorting through student feedback around your teaching yeah. like being able to sift through what's what's founded feedback mm -hmm. like what's yeah. actionable feedback versus like what's not actionable or is feedback designed to like oh, your standards are too high. Yeah. Right? Like, and being able to sort through that, like, um, feels like an important, feels like an important mm. skill to have, particularly when, you know, you are trying to get better and you're seeking out student feedback. And the, one of the realities of, of teaching is you're teaching for a purpose, right? Like, there's certain content and certain knowledge that you're working to help support students in gaining, and sometimes how they think they learn is not the way that they they actually learn, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we have all these myths, like, oh, I'm a left-sided, I'm a left-brain person, I'm a right-brain person. That's yeah. not a thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, learning styles also not a thing, but yet they're heavily entrenched. Yep. And so like, what are systems that you all use to be thinking about how to sort that feedback out so it's hmm. actually useful to you? Like, how do you identify useful feedback from feedback that isn't actually, a, 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 isn't actually feedback, if that makes yeah. sense? Um. Well, sometimes, I mean, of course, I guess this kind of goes back to like thinking like a like a researcher. You look mm -hmm. for the themes of what's popping up, um, and so like over and over and over again, I noticed in my feedback last semester there were misconceptions about how long the lesson plan should be, um, um, because lesson design is really important in the reading center. The 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 undergrads, the tutors, are in charge of the lesson design for their child for an hour twice a week. And there's no cooperating teacher there. I mean, they have supervisors, like there's other support mm -hmm. systems there for them, but this is really the first time that they are completely in charge. Um, and so um, sometimes I what I noticed on the feedback was there were misconceptions between what students perceived my expectations to be versus their own expectations of themselves. Um, and so that theme kept coming up. So what I did for that one, I just called everybody together at the reading center and clarified, this is my expectation for mm -hmm. the reading, for the lesson plan. I don't want you to be spending 
like too many hours on them. I want you to spend a good amount of time on them, like because like think about the course credit versus like mm -hmm. time out, outside of class, what that is. But I don't want you to be spending all your time on this lesson plan um, for uh, not understanding concepts that came up a lot. And so, like I said, Rachel and I came together to design our second assignment to help address that. So. Um, because that we talked about it in class and then we made the second assignment completely about that. Choose an area of focus that your child needs work on, whether that be working on like long vowels or mm -hmm. if it needs to be working on answering inferential questions. And then in each of the um, teaching domains, word work, reading and writing, what's an instructional strategy that you can work on that area of focus in each of those areas um, mm -hmm. to help our students think about it in that way a little bit more. Um, for me, so, so what I'm picking from that that is similar to some things that I do is you don't necessarily want to wait to the end of no. class to mm -hmm. get feedback. You want to use assignments mm -hmm. as uh, sometimes they're great at, at telling you um, if a good portion of your students aren't getting that you're aiming at something specific, you're missing something we need to redesign. Mm -hmm. And I also do a mid-semester anonymous feedback. Yes. And so they can say anything. And the only important thing that I keep in that is at the time after we do that, uh, one week after they provide the feedback, I summarize the feedback mm -hmm. into themes. And I put on the board the top three. And remember, again, there's room for you to really take whichever you think are the most important three, even if numerically they're not the top mm -hmm. three. I mean, it is the ones you want to, but you have to show your students. If you do ask for the feedback, you have to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't just leave it lying there because then everybody senses, we get feedback and you haven't changed a thing mm -hmm. or it's not visible that you've changed yeah. a thing. So I go back, I do one slide. Here are the three things you said are working, two slides. Three things you said are working, we're going to keep those. Three things you said we need to work on, here's what I'm going to do, or here's what I need you to understand, or let's discuss this. Mm -hmm. And give it not too much time, but make sure that this is treated seriously, yeah. because you can learn and you can fix this class. If you're waiting for the end of a semester, especially in a semester system, it's too late for these students. Mm -hmm. So that feedback will be helpful for you to design the yeah. next class, but there's something we can do for the students right in yeah. front of us, make it at least a little bit better, and that's important. It was really important last semester since it was my first time mm -hmm. and it was anonymous and some of it you know it's can be really difficult yes to difficult to at, read difficult to read um and to sift through because you know I've poured my heart and soul into this I worked really hard on it to me it makes sense um and I really care about my students. I really care about their experience. Like I want them to learn a lot. It's a challenging class and it's a lot mm -hmm. of work. And I know that and I want them to get the most out of it. So when you're, it was really challenging to read that feedback and the initial, the emotional initial, response. the emotional response. Once I got through that, then I could take action, like reflect and take action. And a lot of it was clarifying things. Um, making those adjustments because then by the end of the semester we had the aha moments that i wanted to come and mm -hmm. it really helped me think more about being more intentional this semester so when we were going through our like designing lesson plans this semester i was much 
more equipped to articulate, this is what I want you to have in the I do. I do not want a script. I don't want you to write everything out. I don't want that because that's not what a lesson plan is for. And I do want these critical pieces of like, what, what are you teaching them? Like, why is it important? When do you use it in the modeling? And then mm -hmm. keep going back to like this essential knowledge. So I felt, it, and, and, it, and just thinking about those things. I also asked my students last semester too, because there were some changes in the reading center. Like if you were gonna be tutoring twice a week instead of once a week, last semester my students had teaching partners because I had 109 mm -hmm. students. This semester I have Which 50. Which is great. It is great. It's also is scary. Great. It is great. Number. And this <laughs> semester I have 52 undergrads, so I don't have teaching partners. So I asked my students last semester, if you were gonna be teaching twice a week, would you rather turn in all of the lesson plans once a week on Sunday, mm -hmm. and then you reflect and make the adjustments just naturally. I feel like yeah. it's more organic type of planning. Um, or would you rather turn in a lesson plan like once, once, and then again? Yeah. And most of them said, "I think I would prefer once a week." So it, it does it, it. So now I'm talking with undergrads. It can be feel anxious, like yeah. cause some anxiety to plan twice a week, and then, like, oh my gosh, though, like I'm not sure what to do or like do I need do I need to go back and change my plan now that I've taught nope you just it's that natural learning that happens as a teacher you you use the the formative assessment and then you make the changes um, and I like to have my like the supervisors so we have teachers who mm -hmm. come in and supervise our undergrads when they're teaching to talk about those types of things so that's one of the other really important pieces of, of the class is data and using assessment mm -hmm. um, so I feel like it's a little bit more like organic type of planning and teaching too. So um, I want to take you in a different direction or okay. a little bit think about um, um, interactions with students. Once in a while we have a student that reacts, whether in anonymous feedback mm -hmm. or actually in class, body language, or sometimes they just speak up and they're a little bit difficult, they push back. Mm -hmm. um, have you had that? And if you had? Um. Yeah, I've had pushback, not necessarily in class, mm -hmm. and not not even necessarily like to my face, okay. but definitely on midterm feedback, mm -hmm. um, and and some of it has to do with just I think what it boiled down to was like feeling like my expectations were too high, or mm -hmm. that I wasn't. Um, understanding of the realities of their lives mm -hmm. or that I they you know sometimes my undergrads a few a few undergrads um, felt like I didn't have enough empathy um, for you know really stressful situations um, and from my perspective I feel like that's farther from the truth mm -hmm. um, because I do I do understand what it is to so a lot of them were navigating grief last semester. I am also navigating grief. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are really, you know, really anxious or have anxiety and they have a lot of, you know, I understand that. I also, you know, I, uh, so a mm -hmm. lot of the things that they're going through, I am either also going through, I'm at a different point in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I also understand like that at this point in their life, my students are almost, most of them are almost student teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's a scary point to be because you're like, do I really want to do this? Have I made the wrong decision uh, about being a teacher? Am I cut out for this job? Um, not all of them feel that way. Um, 
of course, mental health is a lot, you know, I feel like our, the, our, we've, when I went through college, like mm -hmm. we weren't talking about mental health. Um, and mental health is much, a much bigger, um, I think there's more awareness around it. Mm -hmm. And so there is kind of this tension between perceived expectations and those realities of life. And so, and it's not that I, it's not that I didn't, like I want my, like if my students need to take time or need something, I want them to. I also want them to communicate with me. Um, I, um, sometimes it gets a little bit tricky with the reading center too, because mm -hmm. it's not just me being their teacher. Like it's lecture class is a little bit easier because mm -hmm. it's just me and me and them. Like we mm -hmm. can, we can make work that. that at the reading center. It's different though, because there's a child who's being tutored. There's a family who's, um, you know, who's bringing their child for that. And so it's it's a little bit different of a context. Like, mm -hmm. I, and you like, you can miss and we can make it up. You do have to provide me a little context though what's going on, you don't have to disclose anything. Um, so there's a little bit more of that principal, mm -hmm. employee, like principal teacher relationship. And that, that, can, that can cause a little bit of, a little bit of um, tension too. Um, and so I don't know the answer to it uh, because any any student who comes to me, like I I listen to them, mm -hmm. I want to work with them, um, I will accommodate them as much as possible. Um, and so I mean I just think like and it's it's not it's it's a new it's something new mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Because I don't like typically forming relationships with people is, is a real strength of mine. Um, so that was something new to na navigate. And it was challenge challenging because I'm trying to take a step back and think about, well, do I, like, did I not show empathy? Like, how, what, what could I have done differently? Like, what, now I look back at, like, these different situations and like, well, I guess I could have done this. And so I'm always thinking about that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's part of being, like, in your first year too, because I think, yes. about this, think about the same things like back from like my early years of teaching too. Same like situations that are just like in my mind mm -hmm. that I think and replay and like what would I have done differently if I yes. if I had like had more experience. <laughs> yeah. What would I have done differently if I already had five years of experience? Exactly. And that yeah. is not exactly how this works. No, it's we not. cannot have pre-experience. We try. I have some thoughts on that, but okay. not for this podcast. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> for a different podcast. All right. Some thoughts on that. Um, so it also feels a bit like, how do you set, like, wh what are the boundaries that you set for yourself in terms of, like, because I tend to think <laughs> about one of the ways that I wrestle with or address the concern around I teach lip lock here at UNL, which is six credit hours. It's a big amount of time. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, there's a perception that it's only a three credit class, but it's actually six. six. And um, one piece of feedback that I often get is, this takes so much time. And so in response to that feedback, I've literally laid out the time requirements for every reading. If you read at the pace of a seventh grader, uh, to accommodate a wide range of like reading mm -hmm. and comprehension speeds, the amount of time it should take to finish an assignment, et cetera, et cetera. Like I've really laid out um, micromanage, some might say, mm -hmm. but have laid out like the time expectations because of 
that particular piece of, of feedback around, this takes so much time. Yes, but how are you using your time? Because Which goes back to right. the how much time are you actually planning? It may be too much mm -hmm. kind of moment. Right. Well, because you have, so once, once they get a sense of like, oh, this is all possible, mm -hmm. if I'm actually putting in the, like, based upon the Carnegie hour, right? Like yeah. one, one hour in class equals two hours outside of class. Um, that's why 12 credits is full time, right? So um, once they have a sense of like, look, here's the standards, here's what I need you to do, and these are the boundaries that I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay out. Um, how, how are, whenever you set a boundary, right, there's always gonna be disappointment, either yeah. you and yourself for letting your boundary fail, or disappointment on the other person for not letting, for not having that boundary get traversed, right? So like, how do you, manage that? What are your strategies for managing working through and with student disappointment around holding up those standards, right? Because at the end yeah. of the day, as a, as a teacher within that course, like, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're always elevate, we're trying to elevate student performance to particular standards. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's pushback and disappointment. How do we deal with that? I can say what I'm doing. Um, the first thing is as much clarity as possible, as early as possible. Mm -hmm. So you set it up for that. You don't wait for the feedback to come back to you. And I think about our friend uh, Justin Olinson, who works, who creates a class that has a lot of ambiguity in the projects. And for a long time, students pushed really hard against it. And what he's come to the conclusion is if you tell them this is what it's going to feel like, and be ready for it. You're going to feel confused. You're going to feel like you don't know what to do. It's going to feel very different. You can make it. It'll be fine. Students before you have reported exactly the same thing. That seems to alleviate some of it, just like having the times. It's like, this is how long it's going to take. So plan on it, mm -hmm. because this is my expectation. This is how I'm designing everything. If you want to get through this class, this is what you'll need to do. Look at your calendar. When students resist, and sometimes I have that silent resistance, I called on one of my students last semester, and in, in about a third into the semester, I asked to have a meeting with her during office hours, have Zoom office hours, um, and uh, I said, it feels like you're pushing back against me. And, she's, and her first reaction was, no, I'm not, and I'm like, Okay, let's think about this. And she said, well, yes, I am. And she described some situations in her own personal life that were adding stress. But she wasn't communicating that. There's no way for me to know. What I'm finding often is that is the situation. But having that conversation, and that's hard when you're teaching for the first time because you're just busy and thinking, how do I make all of these assignments work? Mm -hmm. So having that, that bandwidth to attend to individual students, you're just limited back to boundaries on your own time. But I'm, at this point at least, I'm able to do that and to have that conversation and just having that conversation help. And sometimes it's a conversation about time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, you tell me you don't have time, let's talk about time. What are you doing with your time? And we start having frank conversation, especially as they get late in the program, saying, if you want to teach and if you want to do this well, you've got to put in the time. And if you don't have time, 
you have to think about what is important. My immediate world right now, I need to work and I'm volunteering in three places and I'm doing two other things. And can you do a little bit less of that to make sure that your long-term plan to be a teacher, which you're planning to be for 10 years or maybe 20 or maybe for the rest of your working life, depending on how your life turns out, but many people are planning a long-term, you want that to go well. And if that's not, if, if the, what we're doing now isn't going well, that does not bode well for your long-term. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to, helping students separate their short-term and long-term mm -hmm. that has been a learning experience for me because you, you've got to be brave enough to have that conversation mm -hmm. with students and to say, let's talk about what you're yeah. doing and what not. And often they find place and often I have students that come back to me and say, I've lowered the number of hours I'm working. I'm not not working, but I'm taking mm -hmm. one less job. I have three jobs and now have two jobs. That's a huge relief for yeah. a while at least. Right. And so having those conversations is really important with the students who resist the most. And I think that can help, but clarifying expectations is a critical yeah. piece. So I was thinking, as you were, it, yeah. you were talking, it made me think of something that I did this semester. So last semester, the very last thing I asked my undergrads to do is make a top 10 list, things that you need to know about this course. Um, yeah, thanks. I like it. Yeah, collaborative. <laughs> uh, you gave me a good idea, and so and the it only be, good idea I've ever given. Oh, that is ridiculous. You have, you're full of good ideas. Um, so anyway, it was really the the and it was really helpful advice because it was between. So I lecture and practicum, but then once again, they're so closely aligned. Like what everything that we do is tied together, mm -hmm. and so my all of my undergrads, all 109 of them, made these these you know, top 10. And so then what I did this semester on the first day of class, because um, this class has a reputation for mm -hmm. being time consuming and challenging mm -hmm. and a lot of work, which it is. It's also really amazing. And it's mm -hmm. also, um, worthwhile. Worthwhile. And you get, you learn a lot from it. Um, and so on the first day of class, I pulled several of the top 10 lists for my current students to explore. So things, even if I tell them like, mm -hmm. yes, it will feel overwhelming at first, you will get the hang of it. Like my, my mm -hmm. previous students were saying that. Yep. Advice like, um, for don't let lesson planning take too long. Get, a, get the core co components, what you need. Don't write a script. Um, things like, carve out a chunk of time each week to do your lesson plan mm -hmm. just get it done um so all like previous advice from my from my students and, and it was about like um attendance too like mm -hmm. it's like go to like be present in lecture and in practicum because what you learn in lecture will help you in practicum in practicum you need to be present for your child like you're like you're there for them um advice for like switching things up. So I think that helped. Um, I feel like I was also more prepared to explain like the inner workings of the course. And once again, reaffir reassure them, yes, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I understand it is overwhelming. There's a lot of information you need to know and it will all be okay. And if you are, if you need to talk, please come to me. I like, we will, I will, we will work together. We'll plan together to help you be Mm -hmm. successful um i'm trying to think about other things that i've done to make time like i i don't i have so many students that i don't have a lot of time to like every everything like there's there's i don't have room for anything extra if that makes yeah. any sense there's no room yeah. for fluff 
Um, everything mm -hmm. has to be like functional, functional, mm -hmm. and I want it to be aligned and meaningful and um, aligned to the 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 course goals. So I don't. I did get that in our exit interviews last semester. One of my students said that she didn't feel like there was anything extra. Everything was aligned. Everything had purpose. I was like, yes, mm -hmm. that's good to know. Yes, <laughs> that it it hangs together and it makes sense, even if on the end at the end, or maybe mostly at the end, where it's supposed to kind of coalesce, because at mm -hmm. the beginning, especially as you're saying, it feels very confusing, and we're not sure where we're going, even though there's a syllabus, but the syllabus doesn't always uh, help. So uh, I did want to ask, what do you put in your syllabus that helps them? Do you put those ten top ten things in the syllabus? I, no, I didn't put that in the syllabus. That's on our, um, our Canvas course. Mm -hmm. But in the syllabus, there's the course, the course goals. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Everything. Attendance is a big thing, yeah. especially since you know we're still bouncing back from the pandemic. Attendance mm -hmm. expectations were quite different during the pandemic, and so that's something that we're readjusting to. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's also like. Last semester, you know, when you're collaborating with different people, you all have the same syllabi, you all have to agree on the same attendance policy. This semester, I have a little bit more autonomy because I'm the only person teaching lectures. So mm -hmm. I put in a few different things for attendance, like um, one excused absence, no matter, like you yeah. don't even have to tell me why. And then after that, um, I, ha I mean, I, I keep the discretion to, to keep an absence excused because once again, Everybody has things going yeah. on in their mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Um, like I feel like last semester we dealt with grief yeah. so much more than I think I ever expected to, to deal with it. So I mm -hmm. keep that caveat in there. Um, all of our assignments are in there. The due dates are in there. Um, I put in, oh, I'm trying to think. There's a there's a lot in the syllabus. I yeah. put in all like the resources um, mm -hmm. from like especially I put in the mental health resources mm -hmm. this semester. I put in um, tech help, everything that they the, that they need for class. Um, I put in t uh, this is something new that I put in. I put in something about like how you can expect to engage during class um, because since they're since most of my students are going to be elementary teachers. Like we have lecture, we have lecture components where there's mm -hmm. direct instruction, and I do expect you to do active participation. <laughs> um, partially because, bless you. Darn it! Sorry. <sighs> On live in the podcast. Uh, you look, it, it was sixty degrees yesterday. Today it's twenty. My sinuses are like, what is going on? It's Nebraska. Okay, so I'm going to go back to this. I'm just going to get you off <laughs> We're um, moving active up. participation. But then also, um, I expect them to turn and talk a lot. Um, I expect them to enact as students mm -hmm. and then also enact as teachers. And so um, I, got, I got pushed back against that sometime last semester. That's mm -hmm. something I also addressed that came out. And I... Um, like they, some of my students were like, we feel like you're treating us like elementary kids. So I went in and I said, I, I apologize. Like I don't, I do not think of you as elementary students. I apologize if you feel this way. Here's where I'm coming from. My last position was an instructional coach. And how I am teaching you is how I would conduct professional development for in-service teachers. Mm -hmm. And there was this just this, this feeling kind of spread across the room um, of like, oh, like 
Mm -hmm. That just th we yeah. were talking about talking about that. So um, and so I put that into the syllabus just to kind of like preface that like we're going to do a lot of different things here. Um, another thing I put in last semester, my students naturally had a lot of collaboration with their teaching partner. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. that this semester. So what I did was um, based off of a colleague. Dr. Cindy mm. Linzel, she did a critical peer mentor groups for her dissertation. So I have critical peer collaboration groups during lecture where my students get a chance to bounce ideas off of each other, look at their data together, think about what this data means in terms of instructional strategies and do that kind of work. So I put that into the syllabus. I try, I just, and I went over um, my, I went over my syllabi with our instructional designer too, because mm -hmm. I wanted to, both of them, just to make sure they were crystal clear to see what I was missing, what should I put in there. That's something new that I did this semester. Um, right. That was helpful too. So yeah, you don't have to go over your syllabus or syllabi on your own either. There are people to help you with that. Yes. So utilizing your resources. Yes. As much as possible. Like yes. they're there for a reason. Yeah. Right. So looking at our time. Yes. And we've talked. But it, it's been lovely. It it's has been lovely we've to enjoy our time I'm not together. saying that it's not. <laughs> why, why are you putting words in my mouth, guy? It's because I sneezed, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Tried not to. I tried to hold it back. But yes, so when you're teaching for the first time, there is a, just like our students experience when they move into a class, like there's a lot of stuff we don't know. There's a lot of structural pieces that we work to get into place. And thanks for coming and talking to yeah. us about like an experience that was, has been a bit more recent for you mm -hmm. yes. than it was for Guy or I. Well. I mean, you, you gave out your age. Yeah, I did. So, but like, we well, can't how long have you been teaching in higher education? I'd rather not say because it makes me feel old. <laughs> Age is just a number, though. If it were a child, it'd be a high schooler. Okay, so thank you. So, yeah, so in the teens, yeah, this is clearly in a lot more than the teens, yes, in my case. Right, so in the teens, and I mean, and there's still always stuff that I'm learning. Right, like mm -hmm. I've at some point, not in this podcast, but in a future one, I would love to talk about like, what is the role of anonymous feedback and mm -hmm. does it actually work against our students? Mm -hmm. Love to talk about that. Oh, um, okay. And so like, I'm still, even though I'm, I'm still learning or even though I'm, I've, I've been teaching for a while, uh, there's still stuff I'm learning. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that like, I can be like, what did my students do in your class? <laughs> and that kind of. Yeah, that's the other cool thing uh, <laughs> is that like, since both of you teach LitLock, I get your students yes. after. And something I do love, I'm like, all right, who did you have for LitLock? Oh. That's always fun to ask. <laughs> or they talk about you, or like, I remember Guy talking about yeah. this. Or yeah. like, Nick explained it like that too. So that's always fun to. Uh, and that's yeah. the joy of working in a program where you actually have other people to coordinate with, mm -hmm. but also to see it. And we talked about this actually last time um, when we talked about teaching, and that is you don't have to do everything. Other people are working right. and, they're, and they're helping students get, uh, in our case, pre-service teachers, get the components they need. So it's not all on me in my one class with two credits. Mm -hmm. I need to give them everything. I can't. 
and I'm not supposed to, and other people are doing their job. Mm -hmm. Right. So, we've talked more about teaching, mm -hmm. thought about like how we deal with disappointment, expectations, <laughs> get feedback, because um, teaching is a central part of our job, even though like we're not that kind of doctor. We're not that kind of doctor, but we still do really good work. Maybe. I don't know. I do. Anyway. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I'm sorry. According to your, yes, you do. Uh, and still up I know the, you do Step in the air here. No, i Step in the air. So yes, so thank you for coming and talking. Yeah, it was fun. Us. Yeah. It was delightful. All right. All right. And we'll see you in the next one. I'm not that kind of doctor. That felt creepy. <laughs>